0: THE THOUSAND AND ONE HUMBUGS, PART 1, FROM HOUSEHOLD WORDS, VOLUME 11. THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION, OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. CHARLES DICKENS, 200TH ANNIVERSARY COLLECTION, VOLUME 5. THE THOUSAND AND ONE HUMBUGS, PART 1, FROM HOUSEHOLD WORDS, VOLUME 11, BY CHARLES DICKENS everybody is acquainted with that enchanting collection of stories the thousand and one nights better known in england as the arabian nights entertainments most people know that these wonderful fancies are unquestionably of genuine eastern origin and are to be found in arabic manuscripts now existing in the vatican in paris in london and in oxford the last named city being particularly distinguished in this connection as possessing, in the library of Christchurch, a manuscript of the never-to-be-forgotten Voyages of Sinbad the Sailor. The civilized world is indebted to France for a vast amount of its possessions, and among the rest for the first opening to Europe of this gorgeous storehouse of eastern riches. So well did Monsieur Galland, the original translator, perform his task, that when Mr. Wortley Montague brought home the manuscript now in the Bodleian Library, there was found, poetical quotations excepted, to be very little, and that of a very inferior kind, to add to what M. Galland had already made perfectly familiar to France and England. Thus much as to the thousand and one nights we recall, by way of introduction to the discovery we are about to announce. There has lately fallen into our hands a manuscript in the Arabic character, with which we are perfectly acquainted, containing a variety of stories extremely similar in structure and incident to the thousand and one nights, but presenting the strange feature that although they are evidently of ancient origin, they have a curious accidental bearing on the present time. Allowing for the difference of manners and customs, it would often seem, were it not for the manifest impossibility of such prophetic knowledge in any mere man or men, that they were written expressly with an eye to events of the current age. We have referred the manuscript, which may be seen at our office on the first day of April in every year at precisely four o'clock in the morning, to the profoundest oriental scholars of England and France. Who are no less sensible than we are ourselves of this remarkable coincidence, and are equally at a loss to account for it. They are agreed, we may observe, on the propriety of our rendering the title in the words, the thousand and one humbugs, for, although the Eastern storytellers do not appear to have possessed any word or combination of parts of words precisely answering to the modern English humbug, which indeed they expressed by the figurative phrase, a camel made of sand, there is no doubt that they were conversant with so common a thing, and further that the thing was expressly meant to be designated in the general title of the Arabic manuscript now before us. Dispensing with further explanation, we at once commence the specimens we shall occasionally present of this literary curiosity introductory chapter among the ancient kings of persia who extended their glorious conquests into the indies and far beyond the famous river ganges even to the limits of china Textatorus, or fleeced bull was incomparably the most renowned he was so rich that he scorned to undertake the humblest enterprise without inaugurating it by ordering his treasurers to throw several millions of pieces of gold into the dirt. For the same reason he attached no value to his foreign possessions, but merely used them as playthings for a little while, and then always threw them away, or lost them. This wise sultan, though blessed with innumerable sources of happiness, was afflicted with one fruitful cause of discontent he had been married many scores of times yet had never found a wife to suit him although he had raised to the dignity of house of commons or peerless chatterer a great variety of beautiful creatures not only of the lineage of the high nobles of his court but also selected from other classes of his subjects the result had uniformly been the same they proved unfaithful brazen talkative idle Extravagant, inefficient, and boastful. Thus it naturally happened that the Hausa Commons very rarely died a natural death, but was generally cut short in some violent manner. At length, the young and lovely reform, that is to say, light of reason, the youngest and fairest of all the sultan's wives, and to whom he had looked with hope to recompense him for his many disappointments, made as bad a house of commons as any of the rest. The unfortunate Textorius took this so much to heart that he fell into a profound melancholy, secluded himself from observation, and for some time was so seldom seen or heard of that many of his great officers of state supposed him to be dead. "'Shall I never,' said the unhappy monarch, Beating his breast in his retirement in the pavilion of failure and giving vent to his tears, find a house of commands who will be true to me. He then quoted from the poet certain verses importing Every house of commands has deceived me. Every house of commands is a humbug. I must slay the present house of commands as I have slain so many others. I am brought to shame and mortification. I am despised by the world after which his grief so overpowered him that he fainted away it happened that on recovering his senses he heard the voice of the last maid hauser commands in the divan adjoining applying his ear to the lattice and finding that that shameless princess was vaunting her loyalty and virtue and denying a host of facts which she always did all night the sultan drew his scimitar in a fury resolved to put an end to her existence but the grand vizier par or twirling weathercock who was at that moment watching his incensed master from behind the silken curtain of the pavilion of failure hurried forward and prostrated himself trembling on the ground this vizier had newly succeeded to aberdeen or the Adult who had, for his misdeeds, been strangled with a garter. The breath of the slave, said the vizier, is in the hands of his lord, but the lion will sometimes deign to listen to the croaking of the frog. I swear to thee, vizier, replied the sultan, that I have borne too much already and will bear no more. Thou and the house of commands are in one story, And by the might of Allah and the beard of the prophet I have a mind to destroy ye both. When the vizier heard the sultan thus menace him with destruction, his heart drooped within him. But, being a brisk and ready man, though stricken in years, he quoted certain lines from the poet, implying that the thunder-cloud often spares the leaf, or there would be no fruit, and touched the ground with his forehead in token of submission. What wouldst thou say? demanded the generous prince. I give thee leave to speak. Thou art not unaccustomed to public speaking. Speak glibly. Sire, returned the vizier, but for the dread of the might of my lord, I would reply in the words addressed by the ignorant man to the genie. And what were those words? demanded the sultan. Repeat them. Palmerstoon replied, To hear is to obey. THE STORY OF THE IGNORANT MAN AND THE GENIE Sire, on the barbarous confines of the kingdom of the Tartars there dwelt an ignorant man, who was obliged to make a journey through the great desert of desolation, which, as your majesty knows, is sometimes a journey of upwards of threescore and ten years. He bade adieu to his mother very early in the morning, and departed without a guide, ragged, barefoot and alone. He found the way surprisingly steep and rugged, and beset by vile serpents and strange unintelligible creatures of horrible shapes. It was likewise full of black bogs and pits, into which he not only fell himself, but often had the misfortune to drag other travellers whom he encountered, and who got out no more, but were miserably stifled. Sire, on the fourteenth day of the journey of the ignorant man of the kingdom of the Tartars, he sat down to rest by the side of a foul well, being unable to find a better, and there cracked for a repast, as best he could, a very hard nut, which was all he had about him. He threw the shell anywhere as he stripped it off, and having made an end of his meal, arose to wander on again. When suddenly the air was darkened, he heard a frightful cry, and saw a monstrous genie of gigantic stature, who brandished a mighty scimitar in a hand of iron, advancing towards him. Rise, ignorant beast, said the monster, as he drew nigh, that I, law, may kill thee for having affronted my ward alas my lord returned the ignorant man how can i have affronted thy ward whom i never saw he is invisible to thee returned the genie because thou art a benighted barbarian but if thou hadst ever learnt any good thing thou wouldst have seen him plainly and wouldst have respected him lord of my life pleaded the traveller how could i learn where there were none to teach me And how affront thy ward, Whom I have not the power to see! I tell thee, returned the genie, That with thy pernicious refuse Thou hast struck my ward, Prince Osaiti, In the apple of his eye, And because thou hast done this, I will be thy ruin. I maim and kill the like of thee By thousands every year, For no other crime, And shall I spare thee? kneel and receive the blow your majesty will believe continued the grand vizier that the ignorant man of the kingdom of the tartars gave himself up for lost when he heard those cruel words without so much as repeating the formula of our faith there is but one Allah from him we come to him we must return and who shall resist his will for he was too ignorant even to have heard it He bent his neck to receive the fatal stroke. His head rolled off as he finished saying these words. Dread law! If thou hadst taken half the pains to teach me to discern thy ward that thou hast taken to avenge him, thou hadst been spared the great account to which I summon thee. Tax Taurus, the Sultan of Persia, listened attentively to this recital on the part of his Grand Vizier and when it was concluded said with a threatening brow expound to me o nephew of a dog the points of resemblance between the tiger and the nightingale and what thy ignorant man of the accursed kingdom of the tartars has to do with the false hauser commands and the glib vizier parmastoon while speaking he again raised his glittering scimitar let not my master sully the sole of his foot by crushing an insect returned the vizier kissing the ground seven times i meant but to offer up a petition from the dust that the light of the eyes of the faithful would before striking deign to hear my daughter what of thy daughter said the sultan impatiently and why should i hear thy daughter any more than the daughter of the dirtiest of dustmen sire returned the vizier i am dirtier than the dirtiest of the dustmen in your majesty's sight but my daughter is deeply read in the history of every Hausa commands who has aspired to your majesty's favour during many years and if your majesty would condescend to hear some of the legends she has to relate they might what dost thou call thy daughter demanded the sultan interrupting hansard Replied the vizier, Go said the sultan, bring her hither. I spare thy life until thou shalt return. The grand vizier Palmerstoun, on receiving the injunction to bring his daughter Hansardade into the royal presence, lost no time in repairing to his palace, which was but across the sultan's gardens, and going straight to the women's apartments, found Hansardade surrounded by a number of old women who were all consulting her at once. In truth, this affable princess was perpetually being referred to by all manner of old women, hastily causing her attendants, when she heard her father's errand, to attire her in her finest dress, which outsparkled the sun, and bidding her young sister, brother Toon, or chamber candlestick, to make similar preparations, and accompany her the daughter of the Grand Vizier soon covered herself with a rich veil and said to her father, with a low obeisance, Sir, I am ready to attend you to my lord the Commander of the Faithful. The Grand Vizier and his daughter, Hansardade, and her young sister, Brother Toon, preceded by Mr. Speaker, a black mute, the chief of the officers of the royal seraglio went across the sultan's gardens by the way the vizier had come, and, arriving at the sultan's palace, found that monarch on his throne, surrounded by his principal councillors and officers of state. They all four prostrated themselves at a distance, and waited the sultan's pleasure. That gracious prince was troubled in his mind when he commanded the fair Hansardade, who, on the whole, was very fair indeed, to approach, for he had sworn an oath in the vizier's absence, from which he could not depart. Nevertheless, as it must be kept, he proceeded to announce it before the assembly. Vizier, said he, thou hast brought thy daughter here as possessing a large stock of Hauser Command's experience, in the hope of her relating something that may soften me under my accumulated wrongs know that i have solemnly sworn that if her stories fail as i believe they will to mitigate my wrath i will have her burned and her ashes cast to the winds also i will strangle thee and the present house of commands and will take a new one every day and strangle her as soon as taken until i find a good and true one parmastoon replied to hear is to obey Orde then took a one-stringed lute and sang a lengthened song in prose its purport was i am the recorder of brilliant eloquence i am the chronicler of patriotism i am the pride of sages and the joy of nations the continued salvation of the country is owing to what i preserve and without it there would be no business done sweet are the voices of the crow and chuff and persia never 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 can have words enough at the conclusion of this delightful strain the sultan and the whole divan were so faint with rapture that they remained in a comatose state for several hours would your majesty said Hansardade when all were at length recovered prefer first to hear the story of the wonderful camp or the story of the talkative barber, or the story of Sirli Tapa and the Forty Thieves. I would have thee commence, replied the Sultan, with the story of the Forty Thieves. Hansardade began. Sire, there was once a poor relation, when Brother Toun interposed. Dear sister, cried Brother Thun, it is now past midnight. It will be shortly daybreak, and if you are not asleep, you ought to be. I pray you, dear sister, by all means to hold your tongue tonight, and if my lord the sultan will suffer you to live another day, you can talk tomorrow. The sultan arose with a clouded face, but went out without giving any orders for the execution. End of The Thousand and One Humbugs, Part 1 From Household Words, Volume 11 Recording by Noel Badrian, County Offaly, Ireland